It's time we get to the bottom of this. Security, dig up anything you can about an individual named the Diviner. Alert me of any findings. What is this? What are you doing? Ensuring the mission. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the Proto Star Bridge. This is Tyler Orton, dusting off that message in a bottle. And we're here this week to talk about the latest two episodes of Star Trek Prodigy, Preludes and Ghost in the Machine. And uh, Tyler, I gotta be honest, I was shocked when I thought about it and realized they'd never used the name Ghost in the Machine for a Star Trek episode before. Or Preludes. Doesn't that seem like either like a classic Voyager title or maybe even a TNG title? I didn't say Preludes because I wasn't certain in the back of my head if they'd used Preludes and I was thinking of Voyager. Oh, well, it, it, they wouldn't ever use uh, the same title uh, twice. Uh, I, that's never happened in Star Trek. So, and they, because remember, like, um, there's a TNG episode Emissary in which we I met was Taylor. Say, yeah. And then, so they called the DS9 uh, series premiere The Emissary. Mm-hmm. So yes, they played around, and you've had like the episode, like First Contact versus the uh, the film. We've had like Nemesis episode, Nemesis movie, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, uh, let's jump into Preludes. In which, oh, okay, so I, I did find this one a little frustrating in that um, it was very episodic and expository in, in nature, despite the fact that there's some interesting stuff going on, finding out about kind of the backgrounds of these characters. But generally, like a good episode is going to find. Um, more clever ways to reveal our characters' backgrounds as opposed to... It, it almost felt as if this episode was kind of uh, a showing-your-work kind of episode to deliver what the motivations and the backgrounds of these characters were while there were, like, arcs going on within, like, these, you know, three- to four-minute little stories. It, like, what what did what was this episode about, Cam? Like, what, what, what how did it further the story other than... Uh, you know, Admiral Janeway getting a karate chop at the very <laughs> end. That I mean, that was an amazing gif. If anybody has that going there, like I, I need to get that gif um, that somehow. But um, I don't know. It just I, I kept asking myself, like, what did this add up to beyond just kind of exposition and, and background? Which you know, you could do exposition and background in any other episode, but it doesn't take up you know twenty four minutes of your time when it's only exposition and background. I feel like this is the first time where I really felt the length of um, Prodigy episodes was a hindrance to what the story could be. And this is not something I have ever said before, or I've said about Lower Decks for that matter. But this episode, if you think about like other, we've seen other shows do this, where it's like maybe a series of flashbacks. I think of that episode of um, Firefly, where you get a little bit of the origin stories of everyone and how they wound up on Firefly. Um and this one, I think being like 21 minutes minus credits and opening and all that sort of thing, it was kind of like, we've got our, you know, various flashbacks and backstories for the characters. That didn't leave us a heck of a lot of a time. Whereas I think in a different episode, 
or a different story, they would have found a way to kind of string those origin stories organically into something that was happening where it felt more satisfying, where you could say, this story was about this and how it called back to the characters' backstories and explained their motivations for why they're here and what shaped them as people. Uh, that kind of stuff felt stripped out. So yeah, it felt like an episode of backstories and then a little bit of plot material to kind of explain what's going on with Janeway that can pay off in, you know, not the next episode, but the episode after. Yeah, and I get the the furtherance of the the broader plot. You know, we do find out that the how the diviner ended up, you know, in the past. Uh, and what is it? The uh, the vindicator. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what what a badass name that that the uh, the uh, ensign has uh, taken uh, to call herself there. Um, and then they end up in the same time period. You know, with. Uh, I don't know, the shenanigans going on in that wormhole. So, Cam, if I'm interpreting it correctly, Chakotay, he's stuck in the future right now. Is that correct? That's what I got from it, yes. On, like, a really crummy planet to be on. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those. Do you think it's worse than the Basics planet? Uh, <laughs> I think it is, yeah. that I mean, that Basics planet at least had some uh, big lizard worms and some uh, fun um, cave people to hang out with. Mm, that's true. Although I don't know that I want to be on the planet with like the killer cave worms. That seems like something that would not be appealing to me. <laughs> well, I don't know. You seem pretty uptight there. But um, okay, so <laughs> I, I just wonder, it'd be kind of silly if, um, okay, so Chakotay, he's stuck on this planet for what he assumes is going to be the rest of his life. But because of time travel, however they end up resolving it, I mean, they could just flash in front of his eyes and he's only been on that planet for like 30 seconds. So it's not like mm -hmm. he even has to worry about like lizard worms or anything like that. My suspicion, though, is I don't know. How long is Chakotay supposed to have been missing for? Like a couple years, right? Years. Huh. I hadn't really thought about the period of time. You think it's years, huh? I. I well, based on how we found the state of the protostar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that totally makes sense. Yeah. In terms of like, yeah, where they found the protostar. I, I guess I feel like within the the show and sort of Janeway's determination to find him, it's been a while, but maybe not years, because it seems like this search is something she's still fired out, uh, fired up about. Whereas I feel like if he'd been gone years, she'd kind of be like, well, Chakotay's lost. <laughs> well, I, I think that's why she is fired up, because it's the first um kind of uh, yeah. clue as to where he's been after being uh know gone for uh this length of time does this show have a little bit of a chakotay problem and that the season really hinges on this mystery of what's happened to chakotay but like we've seen two appearances now of chakotay and i really have no real sense of what's going on with him or any of the information about him and i'm sure it's going to be revealed in the finale of the season or something but i i just i feel like i need a little bit more than they're giving me well it definitely seems as if they're dragging this out, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I mean, I'm interested where it goes, but again, it's just, it, this is kind of a bit of a, uh, th those serialized shows are always victim to just stretching things out again and again, right? Do you think the young children watching Star Trek Prodigy are invested in discovering Chakotay? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> um, and, and the answer to that question is, who? Exactly. And, I mean, they haven't shown, I think, okay, let's, we know about Chakotay. We've watched Voyager. We're invested in that sort of stuff. But, like, if you're a kid who's never watched the show, what have they shown you of Chakotay? 
They've had a lot of characters talking about Chakotay. We had that one kind of stiff scene of him talking to Janeway, and he had a, what, like, 15-second bit in this episode Preludes where he says, I don't know, fire or something like that. But beyond that, what is a new viewer who's discovering the Star Trek franchise supposed to draw from this Chakotay story? Um, a <laughs> really cool tattoo, I suppose? Yeah, I think that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Cam, I can confirm on Memory Alpha that, uh, at least according to Memory Alpha, it says that the Diviner had spent many years searching for the Protostar. Okay, yeah. Then I guess, yeah, so, Chakotay's been gone a while. Uh, hmm. Although, the Diviner is a time traveler, so maybe maybe that explains why it's been years. And for Chakotay and Janeway, maybe it's only been a couple weeks. Sure, Yeah. I had a thought watching this episode related to, to Chakotay. Chakotay was on the Protostar. Isn't it a little odd to have Chakotay, the captain of the Protostar, with a hollow Janeway on the ship? That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I got that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, especially when, like, she's like, so much younger. Like, <laughs> like, significantly younger. Like, 20 years younger. I was like, okay. What, like, like, what does that mean? Or, 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 or. What do you take from that, you know? I do Okay, would Chakotay have a say in this? Is this like a Starfleet thing where they're like, look, Janeway is one of our best and brightest. We are going to model a whole series of training programs on Janeway. And so, sorry, Chakotay, that's just part of the computer program on your ship. Live with it. So, Cam, what if you were put in charge of a department <laughs> at your store? And they created a um, a simulation of your boss who is there to um, uh, kind of uh, uh, stand behind your back and comment on the work you're doing as this new leader. Uh, and yet your boss looks about uh, 20 years younger. W would that not be a little <laughs> weird to you? That would be so depressing as I edge towards retirement and they yeah. are like locked in amber next to me. And yeah, you think about it, like, Chakotay didn't just serve under Janeway. He was lost in the Delta Quadrant. He put in, you know, many years, you know, as her first officer. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, when you're trapped together for a long period of time, maybe you need a little bit of a break. But he gets a command and he's got, you know, his former superior officer still there on the ship in a now younger form, as you said. Um, that would be a little weird. A little weird. Yeah. It kind of seems like uh, micromanagement on the part of Admiral Chakotay, or Admiral Janeway, I should say. It does, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she was pretty enthusiastic about this program when they announced it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, just a couple notes for me. Um, I did appreciate that Rock Top's background is that she's really a G-rated version of Butch Coolidge from uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, so that, that was fun. And um, I do like the fact that the uh, that uh, drone on board the, uh, the Tellarite ship um, used the term toilet pluggage, um, which Cam... Uh, I remember you had to deal with that uh, when we did an Airbnb a couple years ago for a uh, uh, Seattle event with uh, some friends with the um, the big Star Trek showcase there. And uh, that was quite unfortunate. You're the one stuck dealing with the toilet plugage at the Airbnb. It was it was something. Um, it, it was a lovely surprise in the morning. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and then, um, let me say this. I Another very weird thing. Um, so pre-Federation... Tellar Prime. I did not realize um, that's actually like that's how old, or that's at least where um, 
Jankum Pong's uh, uh, birth date says on his uh, birth certificate is, but like, so the explanation is that orphans are dispatched on deep space missions in, in cryo chambers. Um, that seems pretty <laughs> messed up. Yeah, because I understand it when like the changelings are sent out, uh, you know, across the galaxy. I was like, okay, I can go along with this, but this felt like really interesting and. Maybe it's like a sin uh, for Star Trek that they never really explored the Tellarites in depth. Because these are the sorts of things I would have liked to have known in the past about, like, what's going on with this Tellarite society. I remember you and I did an episode way back. I'll put a link in the show notes about the Tellarites. And at that point, there was so little actually known. And information like this, boy, this would be a, a breaking story on that episode if we were to uh, record it now. A breaking story and a, a freaky thing to consider. Um, doesn't seem very nice. But um, uh, Cam, any uh, anything you wanted to get out there before you go to uh, Ghost in the Machine? Yeah, that Tellarite story I thought actually had the best laugh of the episode, where Jankum was like saying to the computer after all of his sacrifice, said, "Remember my name," and it was like, "What is your you know? Please enter your name <laughs> or whatever." I thought that was a funny line. Um, yeah. It, the whole bit, though, reminded me of the movie Passengers, and that's not usually a great thing <laughs> because it was pretty much the same premise as that movie. Sure, um, yeah. There was also just a bit at the start where essentially like all the characters were talking about each other's trauma, you know, revealing their traumas to one another. And I'm like, boy, this Kurtzman era of Star Trek, it's like characters just can't stop talking about their traumas. Remember back in the day in like TNG, what was like Riker's trauma? Uh, Moose Riker, his father. Yeah, but it's like they would deal with it within an episode, but it wasn't like the characters were informed by this. Like, I don't think when I'm watching an episode of, you know, uh, TNG Season 7, I'm like, I really think that Moose Riker story is hanging over Riker at this moment. I'm going I'm to, uh, just to crap all over your point, we are going to go through the traumas of all of the uh, the main cast members from that. Uh, uh, Tasha Yar, she is defined by trauma, uh, escaping mm. uh, from that planet of hers. Um, That's true. Wesley. He's defined by the trauma of losing his dad at a young age. Uh, Beverly's defined by the trauma of losing her husband so young, yeah. while raising a, a, a son on her own. Um, uh, Riker is defined by, by the trauma of uh, Kyle, <laughs> a.k.a. Moose Riker. Uh, we also have uh, Deanna. She's defined by the trauma of dealing with uh, Loxana Troy, her mother. Jordy is defined the by the trauma. Uh, yeah, well, of course, uh, that she had to squeeze down into her subconscious to the fact that I don't think infant Troy actually remembered that. No, that's true. It no. was revealed later on, yeah. And then uh, Jordi, uh, defined by the uh, the, the trauma. I, I don't want to equate um, somebody born with a disability uh, as being traumatized because they have a disability, but um, that was very much a defining characteristic for him. And then Data, defined by the trauma of not being a real boy. Yeah, and then Worf. Uh, there was plenty of stuff going on there. Um, well, remember the episode that let he who's without sin from Deep Space Nine, which is not a good episode, but it revealed that Worf accidentally killed a kid on the soccer field when he was eight years old. One of Star Trek's weirdest, darkest moments, <laughs> where yeah. it was like kind of tossed off as like, "Well, that's a sad thing that happened to Worf," but it, we've never forgotten it. It really sticks with you for a very like kind of trivial, silly episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I wonder if it's more that like the Kurtzman era, it just it makes it like that's all the characters have yeah, going for them a exactly. lot of the time, and that's not really the case with this show. But it was the sort of moment where it's just all the characters all talking about it at the same time. Where I'm like, 
This is very, very Kurtzman Trek. Um, well, yeah, we we didn't tell listeners, but uh, we'll, we'll announce it now. But this is going to be our very special subspace episode in which the hosts reveal the traumas that define them. Cam, you go first. The loss of Ben Yong to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're both defined by the same trauma. That's right. That's right. A um, couple other notes I had. I like the bit where they showed Zero's backstory, where he's being, you know, captured by by Kazon. How all the Kazons were wearing the the glasses that they had in that original series episode um, with the Medusans. I thought that was kind of a fun touch. Uh, and then just like lastly, there was the little bit where Janeway was telling the story about the young animal named Molly, and all I could think about was Molly the cow from Spirit Folk. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Cam, Ghost in the Machine. Uh, it, this is kind of like their message in a bottle episode in which uh, they think they're off the holodeck, but they're really not. But they do go in a different direction from there. Um, but again, it, it just seems as if they're kind of treading water as we, we make our way towards the finale in which they're going to try to resolve kind of the broader, you know, uh, serialized story arc that's going on this season. Um, you know, I, I will say this. Um, uh, the fact that they're they're using Murph to prep young viewers for the Vic Fontaine era. Um, that, that that's fascinating, and I'm I'm sorry, but seeing Murph perform on stage, um, it was incredibly disturbing to see that. Like I just I, there's something about it that just gave me the creeps. Like I can't quite pinpoint what it was though. It reminded me a little bit of Young Frankenstein and the like the the dance number they do on stage there. I I appreciated that they are introducing young children to the fact that star trek characters like performing very old-timey like jazz and show to numbers like that is such an important element of star trek and uh i mean you take the most appealing cute character the like groot like character that kids could adore and you introduce old-timey star trek tropes that way well they ain't seen nothing yet until they get to the uh, uh beverly teaches data how to tap dance episode I mean, there's so many, right? There's so many moments of uh, old-timey... I mean, Vic Fontaine, as you said, but my God, Star Trek loves its old jazz. All the trombone Riker stuff. Oh, my God. Trombone Riker, Moose Riker. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, look, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, it's... I don't know what to say about this episode. Like, I get what it was that was going on. Is like they're trying to kind of delay that there's a subroutine built into this like knowing that if that weapon uh from the diviner species wasn't going to make it to earth through the crew's own volition that they were going to get the somehow and by that they they had to make it very clear that uh, hollow janeway turned evil for a split second because her eyes turned red and uh it was caught on camera um cam um i would like it if you know if it wasn't cinematic shorthand for you know your eye turning red as a signal that you are indeed evil yeah, no kidding. Like, that is becoming the most tired trope around where we've seen it so many times with, like, androids and cyborgs and all this stuff in pop culture, um, computer programs. I get it. Like, I think on one hand, they they are speaking to a young audience, and so a young audience is going to understand that immediately, the difference. But it was the sort of thing that when I saw it, I went, okay, this is a little cliche. Instead of eyes turning red... <laughs> What would be the uh, the preferable uh, cinematic shorthand, or, or maybe a new cinematic shorthand that you would like uh, uh, filmmakers and storytellers to uh, proceed with moving forward? Well, I'm thinking back. You know, you go back to old timey 
movies and TV. Like the the villain would wear a black hat, and now we have like the red eyes. What is like the next evolution of evil? Um, I feel like we also had kind of like the the goth makeup. That was a, a trope for a little while as well that you would see with villains. Um, hmm. How about they stick out their tongue and reveals it's a forked tongue? Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I would be totally down, though, for um, Hollow Janeway in goth makeup. Bring it back. Okay. Bring back the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember? I don't know. There's like this episode of like Maury Povich or whatever, but uh, I don't know. They'd always bring out people that had um, like cosmetic procedures performed on them and so like one guy had like horns implanted uh onto his head and another fellow actually did have his uh tongue surgically forked so that when he would stick it out it'd be like um split in like two different directions only at the tip not all the way like to the halfway mark but it was still disturbing to look at i remember back in the day on plenty of fish um i got a i don't know if it was a message or just a so-and-so likes you uh, alert but uh the young lady who sent me the alert or message had horns and they had been uh, they were they were like metal implanted it was disturbing well i mean you still went out with her for what like five six months so you're you're, you're no uh, prude so there you go well you know we've been married now for several years so <laughs> huh. um Okay, like I, I just this is another one of the episodes where I'm just like, okay, like I, I get what the uh, the story was, what they were trying to do, and again, it, it just felt like more treading water. Though it wasn't, this wasn't painful to sit through. It just, no. um, it, it didn't necessarily grip me. You know, I, I'll say this: uh, the first half of season one, I, I think, gripped me, and it felt much more propulsive than mm. this half of season one has. And I just wonder if, as you said, Cam, it doesn't even speak to uh, the length of the episodes, but the length of the season. You know, mm, and it's yeah. a problem that we came. The fact that they were treading water in Star Trek Picard, which clearly <laughs> only had like four episodes of story to tell over the course of 10 episodes, just stretched it. Like, why is this such a constant problem with uh, Star Trek right now? You, you, you look at, um, no, but you know what it is? If you look at Lower Decks or Strange New Worlds, these are episodic uh, shows more so. Uh, they have like kind of an overarching um, start uh, uh, arcs and, and stories regarding character growth. But I don't know. If you've got kind of these, the you're falling victim to the discovery and the sort of Picard syndrome in which you just don't have enough story to cover a full, you know, in this case, 20 episodes. And I think it's kind of ridiculous to stretch out a story that is aimed at kids. Because, like, <laughs> at this point in the Kurtzman universe, you and I are used to stretched out stories, whether it be Discovery or Picard. But, like, a young audience, you want to kind of keep them engaged. And an episode like this, I think, you know, for young kids, it's sort of a fun introduction to holodeck stuff where they're explaining, you know, <laughs> basically how the holodeck works in a fun way, just kind of like offhand dialogue. But, you know, kind of showing how each character had their own little holodeck environment and they could have fun little animation stuff like whatever tw Twitter smooch or um, whatever that sparkle sea bonker or whatever the hell it was called. Things like that would keep kids engaged. But like in terms of like stretching out uh, arc, I think that's kind of the mistake. Yeah. And like, yeah, like you said, like if this is more of just kind of an episodic uh, show. I don't think I'd have nearly as much of a problem, like, uh, you, know, you know, with an episode like this. But it also then, I think what happened, though, is you kind, you and I both kind of, um, I think, thought that this show, while definitely meant for kids, it, it was holding our attention 
as yeah. adult viewers in a way that maybe we didn't necessarily expect going into it um, when season one kicked off about four years ago. And so now I think this is more kind of like, I don't know, uh, not childlike storytelling, but maybe something um, geared more towards kids. Although I, I, what kids are interested in like watching like um, cyberpunks like have like a street fight like in the middle of a scary holodeck program like i i, I don't know like that, that like who is the audience i guess is what i i keep wondering about <laughs> and ronnie cox cameos <laughs> hell yeah man oh man dude, dude he's like 90 years old like i was yeah. like wow he's still got it. you remember okay you and i were talking about like how you know armin shimmerman who is getting older nothing wrong with that but his voice did sound a little bit different um when he came back for lower decks um ronnie cox sounded exactly like a a, a fresh eyed 60 year old you know uh during uh his uh his voiceover work so there you go yeah um i mean maybe ronnie cox was one of those guys you know he kind of had an older man's voice at a young age and it's just he'll sound like that forever he'll sound like that till his final moments so you know i hope he gets a little more work on uh this show you know, as we go forward, because I think that'd be fun. But one thing I thought was interesting was we had that um, kind of that, uh, you know, story swerve where they wound up going into the neutral zone. And it seemed like that was going to be some sort of storytelling that would, you know, kind of introduce young viewers perhaps to the neutral zone and some of the hazards there. We really didn't get any of that. The episode end with, ended with them being out of the neutral zone. And I was like, Okay, like, what was the kind of the point of that story choice other than to stretch things out? Well, I, well, like, I know what you're saying. It, it was to kind of, like, make sure that the, the, the whole issue of this season one arc isn't resolved by the time you get to episode, like, 14 or 15, you know? And that's yeah. why I, I keep wondering where the show goes season two and beyond. Like... Are they is Starfleet just going to give the protostar to these cadets and let them have at it and explore the galaxy after proving themselves worthy? Like that's kind of where I think things are going, but I I don't know because otherwise, what's the show going to be? Just you know these kids on the lamb for like five seasons? That would seem weird. And what with Janeway pursuing them like through multiple seasons of the show, I just I don't think so. I don't think they would stretch yeah. that. And also there was like the big announcement of Robert Beltran coming back as Chakotay. If that is a season one story and then he's gone, like that would be weird because look at what we've gotten of Chakotay so far. Cam, I think that is what's going to happen though. You think he's gone after season one? Yeah, I do. Oh boy. <laughs> Poor Chakotay. That's just my guess because I don't know what they really do with him. Like other than what, is he going to retake command of the protostar and then like then that means doll's not going to be the captain anymore and then so why do you have hollow janeway standing behind captain chakotay episode to episode you know yeah I, I the only thing i can think of is they're going to find some way to bend over backwards to justify why this specific crew has to be in charge of you know the protostar and they're going to be mentored by you know, Janeway and Chakotay um, going forward. But beyond that, like, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be mentored by Chakotay. I think once this is resolved, he's off the ship because it, what it does is it takes agency away from the hollow Janeway character. Like, yeah. why is she there as the den mother figure that uh, we come to know uh, real Janeway as throughout the course of Voyager if, you know, the real person in charge is 
you know, the human in the flesh commissioned officer that is one Captain Chakotay. And I don't think they want to take away that agency from the Hollow Janeway character, who still has wisdom to give to these young kids. So are they... Do you think they're just going to, like, send the Protostar off into some far-off region of space with these kids for future seasons? Because it seems like they would keep bumping into, uh, you know, classic Star Trek characters in the, you know, Alpha Quadrant or whatever. I Well... I don't know, maybe it's a situation like the episode Valiant in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> like, yeah, a, a ship full of cadets. Uh, there you go. Go with it, people. I think it, I think it's just more like we're going to have to just go with it, Cam. I think it's just going to be, for whatever reason, these cadets have the protostar and they're not being hunted down by Starfleet anymore, and that's that. Yeah, I mean, I can totally go with that. If it works, it works. If they, you know, are being taught by Hollow Janeway along the way, fine. And maybe the series ends with them joining Starfleet or something. I'm not going to complain. It's more just like, don't drag out stories the way they have. Because I I really think that's a a poor decision to make with young viewers. I don't think you should be doing that. Okay. Well, um, Cam, uh, look, uh, a few other things that we can uh, uh, touch on here. Um, It was kind of funny timing in that uh, we talked so much in the previous episode about uh, Savik, as well as uh, Shinzon, in that um, we did uh, find out, uh, as we're recording it uh, earlier this week, that uh, Kirstie Alley uh, passed away. Uh, she, of course, of uh, Savik fame. And, you know, like, um, it was just such an iconic character. And, I mean, I I, I, I am a, uh, a uh, when it comes to Sam and Diane versus Sam and Rebecca, I was always uh, of the Rebecca era. That's how I got into Cheers. Same. Um, she was just a fantastic uh, comedic actress, but also you, you kind of see kind of that gravity she had as what, like a 21-year-old, 22-year-old actress playing Savick, you know? So it was it, it, you know, very sad to hear, uh, especially uh, thoughts with her family, but I'm also very grateful that we did get to see her that one time at a convention. I, I don't think she had ever been at a Star Trek convention before. What was it, 2018, 2019, Cam? Um, was, or was, it the, was it the 50th where they had her and Whippy Goldberg the same year? I don't know if it was five five years ago, though. And I don't think they were there at the same year, were they? I think they might have been. Um, Time is blending together, of course. It's been a while. Yeah, you look it up. but um, You share your thoughts on Kirstie Alley. Yeah. um, Yeah, like her panel was an absolute blast. And I remember we were really looking forward to it. And it's sometimes fun when you get these people that have never been to a Star Trek convention, and she hadn't, um, where they come out and you can see they're just kind of caught off guard by the fact they are suddenly facing like thousands of people who are just in rapturous applause and just hanging on every word they had. And she was really funny and gracious and gave great answers to questions. Um, I somewhat regret not doing a photo op. That was probably a poor decision on my part. Um, but yeah. You're going to be dressed as Sam Malone, right? <laughs> I have the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it is a bummer. And you know, when we, talked last week about Savick. My one thing was that like Savick's a tough character in some ways to grapple with because of the fact the recasting with Robin Curtis with Star Trek 3 onwards felt like suddenly the films weren't as invested in that character. And I really think like yeah. if you know Kirstie Alley had stuck around as Savick for another movie or two, we would talk about that character in I think far more glowing terms. Um, than we do now. I mean, we still like Savick, but I think that character would be an all-timer with Kirstie Alley. 
So, Cameron, you were correct. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Kirstie Alley appeared at the 2016 Star Trek convention. Um, I feel so old in that. I can't believe that was that was like six years ago. Mm-hmm. For me, I thought it was like right before the pandemic. So, um, yowzas. Yeah, because that was the year where they wanted, obviously, 50th anniversary. And they'd already they'd already knew they had a huge draw in having the first ever subspace panel live on stage. Uh, yep, um, yep. But yeah, they kind of were like, I think opening up the uh, the wallets a little more to get uh, Kirstie Alley and Whoopi Goldberg there to make it a big celebration. They knew that we were such a draw as subspace that they decided the next year they'd put us up against Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> thank you, creation. That that was so nice of you. We, we, we're internally grateful for that decision. Yeah, that, that worked out great, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, and by Creation, Creation Entertainment, those are the folks that uh, run the convention there. Um, so Cam, the other thing is, uh, Nemesis essentially uh turns twenty years old uh this month. Um, <laughs> we're talking a lot about Shinzon and the Praetor. Um, the last episode. This is just such a weird, gnarly movie when you think about the legacy of Star Trek and how essentially this movie comes out and it shelves, you know the Star Trek franchise for essentially seven years until we get the 2009 film. And we don't get any shows back on the air for 12 years after uh, Enterprise has its uh, finale in 2005, I believe. Um, Just thinking about, like, at, like uh, for the longest time, I, I thought this was going to be the end of the road for the TNG crew, and it, it felt like a bummer. It just really went out on a bummer. Um, I can only hope that season three picard i like i i don't think after nemesis they want season three picard to go out on a bummer but it's not as if i have a a ton of confidence with um the behind the scenes crew at this point despite the fact that it's it's been a brand new showrunner every single season on picard so anything can happen who knows i also think nemesis was the end like uh you know that was the ending to those characters and <laughs> it, it made choices as to you know when that film reached its ending whereas i really do think that uh star trek picard season three is going to leave a lot of things up in the air so you know because they've already said oh maybe we could do a movie and things like that i, I think a lot of these characters are gonna be left in flux so that Anything could happen in the future, and I think that's the difference between 2002 and now. Now, will that be frustrating, or that there won't necessarily be a ton of closure? Like, I don't need all these beloved characters to croak by the end of uh, Season 3. Um, but, I don't know, I could also see the possibility that you get a uh, final ending that it's more akin to the Undiscovered Country. You know, where the, the music swells and you get the sense that they're going off to their next adventure and, and the journey continues from there, only to follow up uh, a couple years later with uh, John Harrington, uh, Harriman uh, taking over as uh, captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> we need that uh, episode and I need them to like motion capture like a younger uh, Harriman or D-Age, uh, Alan Ruck, to come in as Harriman. Um, I, that should be, honestly, that's what this final season of Picard should be is just like the return of Harriman. I would be totally down for it. But um, yeah, like I, th- I don't want a de-aged Alan Ruck. I want Alan <laughs> Ruck in his true form, you know, uh, almost 30 years later. <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, like I think, you know, going back to Nemesis, it's such an interesting movie because, uh, yeah, as I said, like he made weird choices. Um, it was not the movie that fans wanted. It went up against Lord of the Rings. 
it felt kind of like an old timey movie at the time it was released where you had, you know, the Star Wars prequels were out, uh, came out the same year as Spider-Man. It's like the future of Hollywood movie making and blockbuster filmmaking was happening and Nemesis felt like it was from a past era. But it was a sad ending. And I think one of the things about Picard season one was that it was basically just trying to kind of undo all of the sins of Nemesis and make it kind of irrelevant in many ways. And so, like, that's why, you know, when you talk about, like, the anniversary... Can, can you mm. can you expand on that? What, what do you mean by um, the sins of Nemesis and making it irrelevant? I think, like, the um, B4 character ending off with Picard being left with B4, the way they kind of just got rid of that stuff... Um, in uh in <laughs> put Picard. him in a put him in a drawer mm-hmm. yep um the way yeah. that you know we get we got our big farewell to data in picard not in nemesis uh that was kind of making up for that um it just felt like i i don't know that a lot happens now in nemesis that sticks it doesn't really feel like it yes you know Riker goes off with the titan and we've had titan stuff on lower decks um and acknowledgement of that on um picard but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Nemesis has the impact, whether you like it or not, that it maybe once had. It feels like it's the sort of thing that you go, there was a little bit of a bump in the road, then we kept going. Um, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like I, I do wonder, because I think that was something we talked about when we were reviewing season one Picard. Like, what is the legacy of Nemesis now? And I don't even know. It's a movie that almost feels like in some ways it could be forgotten. It, it's something kind of like... Oh, that would have been nice on like, like a kind of a a, a direct to cable kind of movie. Yeah, it, it just it feels as if there's it, it's lacking kind of importance in terms of kind of the legacy of of Star Trek. Yeah, like I would say Shinzon has a fair legacy. Like it's a pretty iconic character that people recognize. But I, the death of Data, I think some people like a lot of people don't. But beyond that. I don't know. Like, just think about it. I mean, they didn't need to croak everybody at the end of The Undiscovered Country. No. And I think that is a good, you know, send-off for that film, despite the fact that you would return to, you know, say, uh, uh, Kirk and even, you know, Scotty, you know. You, you would return to those characters, or Spock as well, eventually down the road. Um, Where is... It's not like Nemesis was revered before they decided to make returns to those legacy characters uh later on as well you know yeah i mean it was definitely poorly reviewed not financially successful um i feel like we were so ripped off though this past summer in las vegas where they announced that there would be a nemesis screening to coincide with the anniversary it was all over the website and then never happened and was not mentioned at all by the programmers I, I want to know what happened there. we, we got to get to the bottom of this uh, next year, Camp. <laughs> They'll put it up against the subspace panel and we'll lose all our audience. <laughs> They'll be like, woohoo, Nemesis! <laughs> <laughs> That's a sad state of uh, subspace fans right there. Would it sting that much more if you lost the audience to Nemesis versus, like, Wrath of Khan? <laughs> Dude, it's, called, it's not called subspace transmissions. It's called subspace fans missing. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, how often do you find yourself, you know, because you were into the franchise way earlier than I was. Over the years since 2002, like, how often did you find yourself rewatching Nemesis? Oh, God, dude. Uh, 
I've probably watched <laughs> watched it more times since we've done the podcast yeah. than I did um, between the time it you know hit the big screen in 2002 and when we started doing the podcast in 20 was it 2014? Yeah, 2014. I think I've I think I've watched Nemesis at least twice, maybe uh, and don't quote me on this, maybe three times since 2014. Right. Whereas prior to that, I just saw it once in theaters and that was enough for me. And that's so interesting because 2000, you know, 2001 somewhere in there is like the big DVD boom. And so like that would have been one of the you know, one of the early Star Trek movies to be released on that format. And that's the era of like the collector's market. And I would have thought even like, you know, a younger version of Tyler would have snapped up the Nemesis DVD to watch. No, I, I can tell you, I was not excited to put down my, my limited um, money uh, as a young man on a movie I did not like. So you never bought it just as a completist or anything? I didn't like it, you know? Like yeah. I, I never bought uh, Star Trek... Uh, uh, five, you know. Mm. Although I, I guess I do kind of like Star Trek Five. I think the the only Star Trek films I owned, uh, Star Trek Six, uh, First Contact, and Insurrection. Um, funnily enough, and this is this is like back in the day when I was like younger. Um, now that I'm an adult with <laughs> with with a job that goes beyond just the summer. Yeah. Um, I, I I've owned kind of the complete collection for God. Uh, I don't know, 15 years now, but not at the time. I remember I purchased a DVD of Nemesis. I think I was up in the interior or something on a camping trip with friends. And we went by a, I think it was like a, it might've been a Walmart or might've been some other store. And they had a bargain bin of DVDs. And I picked up, I believe it was Nemesis, Insurrection, and I think maybe Star Trek V. And they were okay. like $5 each. Um. For me, uh, I, I when I was at the bargain bin, it, it was all pogs, uh, as many pogs <laughs> as I could collect. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, did they ever make Star Trek pogs? I they must have. I mean, there's so many like, um, like just so much like, not 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 black market material, but like unlicensed material <laughs> being produced at the time. Do you remember when like you would go to the mall, and this is during like a, a two and a half month craze, but you would go to the mall and there are these giant like. Um, fold-out tables set up by vendors selling like um, throngs upon throngs of pogs. It was just, it, it was insanity at, during, I don't know, what was maybe 1995, I think? Yeah, yeah, um, that's about right. One of the darkest moments of my life was when I bought an uncut oh. sheet of pogs that were Flintstones. Wow. <laughs> Why did I buy these? I paid a lot of money for them, and I was like, this is a really smart purchase for me to make at this particular point in my life. <laughs> How much do you think you spent on them? I mean, they weren't ultra expensive, but they were probably like, maybe, would I have paid 20 it was probably close to $20, which at that age, which, like, I mean, yeah. at the time, yeah, yeah. You're, you're 15 at that time, you know, it's, it's like that point in time where you go to like a comic book shop and you look in the glass case and they've got like a, you know, whatever wedding of Spider-Man issue with like a $20 tag. And you're like one day, one day able, I'll be able to afford this. And that's kind of the right. era that was. So it might not, not have been 20, but it was probably close to when I bought those stupid pogs that I have no idea what happened to them. <laughs> So I'm I'm just picturing you pressing your nose against the glass case containing the Flintstone pogs, and you're like, um, you're like uh Mike uh Campbell in 
or sorry, not Mike Campbell, but Wayne Campbell yeah. in uh, Wayne's World, where you're like, uh, she will be mine. Yes, she will be mine. As if I was like some huge Flintstones fan, too. It's like... <laughs> Dude, you're the one who bought them, not me. I'm, uh, I know. <laughs> I'm just as curious as to why you did it as you are. Did not go and see the Flintstones movie in the 90s in theaters, but I had to race out and buy $20 Flintstones pogs. <laughs> See, I thought you were a big Rosie O'Donnell fan, and that's why uh, you, you bought them. No, no. And they were actually the animated characters. They weren't even the movie characters. Oh, boy. Cam, do you remember that two- or three-year period where Rosie O'Donnell is a sex symbol? Um, Yeah. Is that the Exit to Eden era? Exit to Eden. She was playing Betty Rubble yeah. in the Flintstones. Um, It's just a very curious thing looking back on it now. Yeah, and that's when she had her show, and it was really popular, I think, shortly after. And, like, she would swoon over Tom Cruise in every episode. Weird time. Well, that was, okay, That, that so that sex symbol period was, like, I think maybe two years before her show premiered. Okay. Like, it was just, it was, like, 92 to 93 and a half or something like that. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I remember she was, like, a big deal, like, coming off League of Their Own, and, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, another stakeout, another classic of the time. Yeah, true, true. Uh, all I remember from that movie is uh, she introduced like Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez to hummus, and the joke was, "What's hummus? Oh, it's on the side. Hummus on the side, like homicide. We're cops. Invest." And this is like, wow, that's comedy gold. <laughs> but you bought that DVD over Nemesis. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. yeah. I'm a completist. I already owned a stakeout, so I had to own another stakeout. <laughs> right. Okay, so on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be doing a classic episode review. It's been a while since we did a, an original series episode. I think the last one we did was Galileo 7, which was a lot of fun. We will be doing the ultimate computer, of course. And um, I have to say, uh, listeners, uh, we're looking forward to kind of the, the year wrapping up. Um, it's always one of my favorite episodes every single year, Cam. I, I, I always love doing this current state of Star Trek episode that we do typically in June. I always love doing our Vegas convention wrap-up episodes and i always love doing the year-end wrap-up episodes as, as we discuss what's been going on in star trek this past yeah. year what we're looking forward to in 2023 and we often pick out some of our favorite moments and uh cam uh you're, you're great at finding bloopers that make me sound like a complete moron oh there's some fun ones this year for sure definitely i've been yet yeah, compiling them i'm looking forward to releasing those into the wild again <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, Kim, uh, I guess you can, uh, in the meantime, uh, find us on uh, Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash subspacepod. Uh, give us a review on your favorite podcatcher. That helps lots of folks find us. It's a free show. The least we can ask for is a review. So, yeah. Um, Cam, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on the Twitter at Cam V as in Vindicator Smith. You can find me at Reporton. That's R-E-P. P is in Preludes. O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.
Transfer complete. 